Welcome to C-Suite Radio. It's time for another edition of The Brett Allen Show. It's go time, you and me! Join us weekly for the latest pop culture interviews from your favorite TV shows, movies, comedians, and so much more. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, it felt good. Plus, you never know who will drop by. What happened here was a miracle. Now, here is your host. I said throw down, boy. Welcome to the night's main event. Brett Allen. Today on the show, we are chatting with director, storyteller Richard Bakewell about this fun film, Roswell Delirium, uh, the Cold War and historical tragedy and intimate and moving coming of age drama all mixed in together uh, with a stellar stacked cast. Uh, It's hard to make a movie these days, let alone a good one, and to be able to execute this successfully with a really great cast is even a bigger deal. So congratulations and thanks for your time, Rick. It's great to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I haven't seen the film. I have read about it. I've seen just little clips here and there. So I do apologize, but I have read a lot about this and I think it's very exciting for you. Uh, It's a very big deal. Honestly, there's my nine-year-old in the background peeking in. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about this. How did this whole thing come about for you? And uh, what can people expect? Well, you know, it started off as a short film. I did uh, a movie like four years ago called The Rabbit Hole. And I had these two girls in the movie. They played a mother daughter. And I said, well, I have another movie for you. And it's going to be a short called The Roswell Syndrome. Uh, just about, you know, aliens and dying and all that kind of stuff. And then the pandemic happened and I wasn't allowed to make the movie because we were going to film in a hospital and other locations and California kind of shut down. So I kind of decided to write that into a feature uh, and spent a lot of time researching and going to the Salton Sea and other locations and just, you know, seeing what California had to offer to kind of like match to Mexico, like as Roswell was very heavy into my influence of the storytelling. And, you know, it took like two years of writing 17 drafts later to finally be at a point to like finally say, hey, I think we're ready to shoot this thing, you know, but we we did it pretty quickly. So, yeah. So let's talk about the cast. I mean, good grief. There's so many amazing people in it. Uh, how did you put that together. I mean, that's like, I was just looking through here. I mean, some of the biggest names in the business, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it was not easy. The, the problem that I had and faced was, you know, I've, I've worked for like 19 years in the business, mostly as a director of photography, sometimes directing, but nobody wants to work with somebody they don't know. You know, they, right. like, you know, I'm not a Spielberg, a Scorsese. So, you know, I didn't have that body of work. And there was a lot of people who liked the concepts and they weren't scared away of, of the sci-fi element, but they were scared of working with me and unknown. Uh, but, you know, Sam Jones was the first person to say yes. You know, he came on board pretty quickly and he, you know, he loves, you know, being a part of anything. And he was the first one to say, I, I want to do it. I like the project. And then it's like from there, it was like, it just became a little bit easier. We got D Wallace, 
And I felt like once we had her, the story really had. I mean, like, D Wallace, come on. Yes. I mean, <laughs> E.T. I mean, I know the flash. Yeah. I mean, good grief. And I Reginald Vell Johnson. I mean, Blair, Lisa Welchel, Lisa Welchel. I was calling her Blair, but Lisa Welchel. Yep. <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall. I mean, you know, we just put together like a list and we worked really hard on calling people, working deals. Uh, you know, there's a lot of rejections that come with it and a lot of like detours in the process. But, you know, I felt like I really wanted to make a movie where we had an all-star cast of 80s stars. So it makes you feel like you're really watching an 80s movie. So it takes you back to that time completely because otherwise it doesn't feel that way. But like, you know, right. when... You know, the day one for me was filming with Lisa and she plays a school teacher in the movie. And, you know, the minute she walks on set, it feels like I'm back in the 80s. Like that is the face that I recognize the most of anybody on TV when I was growing up. You know, for me, that was just like, wow, what an experience is to start the day, like to film off with her on set day one. That was amazing. Yes. And this has to be a win for you because now it provides credibility for you as a storyteller and director, right? Because right. you've worked with some big names now. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing too. It's like, you know, there are people who will work with you and they'll do favors and take a lower rate. Uh, but I was not at that point yet, you know, so like having five great actors who are well known uh, and then have them all have a wonderful experience, you know, will help going forward when I want to like, ask them to work on something again or get new people involved, you know, get some people who I also admire. So it's really having a body of work. So that, that way you look credible. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I did a one short like five, six years ago with Daniel Harris and uh, a film called postpartum. And when Lisa Welchel's manager was like considering doing the film, uh, he called her agent and said, well, how was this Richard Bakewell guy? You know. <laughs> He's like, so, let me know about this guy that I'm about to exactly. so, sell my you know, soul to for a film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like the world's very small. Uh, it but is. Your is, industry is very small. Yeah, but it's it's all they're all connected. They all talk a lot, you know. So he, you know, he wasn't gonna like put Lisa in a situation to fail. So he's like, he talked to her manager, and then I got a good stamp of approval, and then like within a day we had a contract ready to go. It was pretty fast. So. Yeah, I mean, having just being on the production side of things here, booking talent, it's a very small pool. Like yep. if one publicist leaves and goes to another publicist, uh, to another firm, I mean, it's it's interesting as big as the industry is, but yet the teams that I deal with, they're extremely small. Uh, so I would imagine on your side, it's the same way. Um, and so... I'm interested to know, I mean, I lived in New Mexico for years. People are sure. fascinated with all of this. Were you able to film any of it actually in New Mexico? Yes, we were. Uh, we had uh, one of the producers was there filming something else, and he got a lot of shots of Roswell. Uh, oh, that's and, cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. So we got some shots of Roswell in, in the film that are kind of just blended in there. You know, I didn't use any of the signage cause I didn't really want to give it that kind of weird stamp, you know, cause it, it wouldn't really fit with the era that we're in, you know, in the eighties. So we also had a few drone people go out to ship rock, uh, okay. to film, you know, to film that giant volcanic mountain out there because in the, in the film, the idea is, you know, area 51 has been destroyed 
And so there's this magical place now that's called Space Rock, but it's based. It's also it's kind of based on Ship Rock. So that's when I saw that place years ago. Like that's a good idea for like an alien type land, you know. So we had a couple of drone teams go out there and get some pretty amazing stuff. I mean, it's just phenomenal what they did out there. So, so a lot of establishing shots and a lot of that sort of thing. So now that you've got this, when does it release? Where will it be seen? Can it be seen now? Well, right now, you know, we've we've had a few offers for distribution, but we're kind of waiting because, okay, uh, you know, there was like this period where everybody was like, we need the content, we need content. Uh, but then like the deals kind of like went sour where they started offering less money. It's like, like well, we're going to wait till the things kind of come back a little bit. So right now we're doing a festival run. Uh, okay. So we, we just had our premiere uh, December 7th and Culver city and oversold by like 40 some tickets had to oh, turn wow. a lot of people away, you know, it felt really bad. Uh, but I offered to buy their tickets going forward for any other future screenings. And the next one we have is in Chandler, Arizona, uh, January 21st at the Chandler film festival. And we're going to be kind of riding the festival circuit for a few months. And then starting March, starting to then uh, probably really start to put it out there to stream and, I'd say by May, it'll be out there for the world to see. Yeah. I mean, there was a period of time where it was just like, we need content. Yep. And of course, the strike, a lot of people lost production deals, holding deals. Uh, exactly. Because we just didn't know how long it was going to, the whole thing was going to last. And now there's like an oversaturation of content. So yep. I imagine like one of the big fears would probably be getting lost in the shuffle of things. and And then it's like, now your film is sucked into like this vortex of like, you know, last sure. chance you ironically or something like that, which you worked right, right. on, which I do want to talk about that, but it just as a side joke there, you know, it's like you just get mixed in with all the minutia and then you sort of lose that value of all your hard work. Right. Right. And like, you know, we found that like, uh, you know, with the first trailer that we we dropped in July, the official trailer, you know, it had like 165,000 views and then some people started resharing it. Then it got over like a million views. So it's like there, there is definitely a, there's a desire to see this movie like all across the world, you know, internationally. So, I mean, I have people all the time who track down my phone number, my email address and saying, Hey, like they act like my friend. I'm like, I don't know you. <laughs> And like, when's a movie coming out? I'm like, well, just be patient. You know, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. But it's going to come out soon and you'll get to see it like everybody else. Yes. Well, it looks fantastic from what I've seen, just the pictures, the trailer and that sort thank of you. thing. Oh, of course. So what has been the general response from your, your cast? What do they think? Well, you know, the funny thing is none of them saw really <laughs> okay. anything, anything until like the premiere, uh, you know, like we had a little bit of time after we finished the movie and the strikes happened. So I decided not to burn the movie. I wanted everybody to have the chance to have a premiere together, to see it together, to talk about it, take photos. So, you know, I had a little time to work on it. So I, when I went back into the movie and, and I kind of did what I call George Lucas in the movie where I added some like special effects in the movie. And I had this guy who was fantastic, uh, create a few more ufo shots in the movie you know because i was like well let's enhance it where it feels natural let's not overdo it uh so when they finally saw the movie with the music who uh troy van lewin from the queens of stone age did and did a phenomenal job it's like 
you know, I love like the soundtrack. It's so good. Uh, like the music and the sound effects, the editing, and then just the visual effects, they were blown away. Like I didn't get a chance to see the movie in the theater because I was dealing with people who couldn't get into the theater to see it. I was getting them refunded. And when I did come back in to hear it, like people were laughing and, you know, and then at the end I was there and they were like crying and wiping their faces and just like, I did not have a second to myself when the movie was over. Like they all swarmed me and they were all talking about it. And that was a good feeling to know that they are still talking about it to this, like even now, like it's been three weeks and they're still talking about it. They have questions and they're like, uh, they just want to see it again. I mean, that's, that's a good feeling when they're still like promoting the movie after that kind of, you know, uh, screening. It's just like, it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, congratulations. So Thank you. I mentioned as a joke, a little bit about last chance you, you have worked yep. on that. That was really part of the early Netflix, you know, streaming boom that in yep. house of cards and a few other things. How many seasons of that did you work on? I worked on it for four seasons. Okay, so you did Coach Buddy, and uh, I can't remember her name. Um, bring Your Pencil. Was it that season, or was it later on? After season two, three, four, which seasons did you work on? I did two seasons of the football and two seasons of the basketball. Okay. So I did the last two So you were seasons. in Oakland then for the basketball I was I was in Oakland for the football and then I was in uh Elac for the basketball. Okay. Yeah. Wow. How yeah, did you was... get in let's talk about that experience? Like I don't want to show people necessarily how the sausage is made per se, but like <laughs> what was your cause it is reality television, but like it's real though. It's not like reality television like we would know, because you're following people around. Yeah, I would I would say it's really that show is more documentary based where a lot of it is you're like nothing is really set up at all. Like the only thing that's set up on that show are the, like the hero shots where you have the person stand up and you light it and have like a little dolly movement, to, you know, make them look good for like five seconds. Uh, you know, a lot of that stuff we filmed, I mean, it's all real and authentic. You know, there's kids trashing the locker room because they get benched, you know, and camera guys and they're capturing that. And and then there's things that, you know, you're filming because one guy is homeless and he sleeps in his car every night because he wants to you know play football so bad, you know, and it's like th there's really nothing reality about it. Like it's, just, it's very, uh, very raw and uh, very authentic, which I enjoyed because you're documentary and a lot of times you're rolling for three hours straight. It's like, Oh my God, my body's killing me. But it's for the better cause. You're actually you're there and, you know, and you're gaining their trust and you're also, you know, like part of their lives and, and their journey along the way. And that's something I just enjoyed and competing to be the best because a lot of the players, they don't have the money to go to an Ohio State or Pennsylvania. You know, so it's like they go to these smaller schools in hopes that they get on TV and somebody sees them later and then they get the chance to play for the big teams, you know, and that's what usually happens. Like there'll be like maybe one out of 20 people who actually get the chance to uh, try out for a big football team. How do the locations get chosen for that? Like, how does that process work? Do schools apply or do you go out and you scout for places to look at for division one, division two sports? Well, you know, a lot of those schools are kind of based on like how much access you're going to give us. Like, are we going to be able okay. to film every game? Uh, what, you know, like 
is it going to be a thing where we can film at other schools? Are they going to like boycott us and not let us film? Because otherwise there's no point in us going out there. You know, how open is everybody to filming? Uh, and, you know, a lot of times we were filming, you know, with ELAC out here in California. And after season one aired, you know, a lot of teams didn't want us to film again because they didn't want to get embarrassed. So we would set up the cameras and then all of a sudden, about five minutes into the game, they would kick us out. It's like, oh, okay, that's not cool. You know, but well, that's... when you filmed in Oakland, that was my favorite. I remember when that trailer came out for that because I lived yeah. in California. I lived in the Bay Area for a long time and they're like, sure. shut up or we'll smack you in your mouth was kind of like the, <laughs> the you know, lead into that. And I was like, yeah, that's Oakland for sure. Well, I tell yeah. you, I got to be honest. I talked to a lot of people, but I find you, uh, R Richard, very fascinating because you've really done so many things. Like, how did you get into storytelling? Like, where did that journey begin? Well, you know, I went to school for directing and then, uh, I tell everybody, you know, I met every like people who had directing degrees after school, like four or five years out of school, and they were still like at the lowest position possible, like a production assistant. I'm like, how can you be a directing graduate and still be a production assistant? Like you should have moved up by now and they hadn't. So I got scared and I was like, well, I'm going to learn a, a craft. So I learned cinematography. And I was like, well, I'm going to teach myself how to use the camera. So I'm that way. I'm a better director. I know how the camera should move. And it wasn't until I graduated and started working on a show called Cops that I really oh, learned yeah. how to storytell. I, I was going to, you just, <laughs> that was the perfect lead in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Cops. I mean, God, how was yeah. that as a first time experience? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I grew up watching the show as a kid and laughing and it was like real reality TV. It's just, you know, like a lot of this nonsense, you know, and uh, it's all authentic, by the way, sadly. Um, and I remember watching as a kid and then I got offered a job like, well, I guess an interview. And I went to the interview and I walked in and I saw like this giant stack of papers, like a, applications. And I was like, I don't you know what? I don't have the job. I'm like, I'm never going to get it. So I don't even care. And I guess that's the attitude they liked. And they called me the next day and offered me the job. And, you know, I went to uh, Rancho Cucamonga first in Sacramento, then North Las Vegas, and then Vegas. Uh, and it really helped me shape storytelling because, you know, the first two months of the job, I really was terrified of like getting killed. You know, it's like I'd, I was worried about getting shot, worried about being a high speed pursuit and getting hit by another car and then, you know, T-boned. Uh, but then after like two months, I got over the nerves and then I started to focus on this, the visual storytelling. And then also, you know, it was just me and a sound guy as a, as a team out there. That was it. So I was the producer, uh, the cameraman, and I also had to get the releases too of all so the everybody that you arrest has to sign paperwork to be oh, on yeah. television. Oh, otherwise it's not a story. And, and like, and, and I did Nobody the show. Nobody wants to see the blurred face. We <laughs> want to see the criminal. <laughs> right. And like, it's in like in the nineties that worked, you know, but then like, you know, I was doing a show in 2008, 2009 and they were like, we will not absolutely show anything with a blurred face. So you have to get the release. And, you know, sometimes you could get somebody to sign in five minutes and somebody, sometimes it took two hours to talk to them and get the release, you know, like, just breaking them down and this 
really not judging them and just really understanding who they are and why they did these things and just listening to them. You know, a lot of times they just wanted to be listened to and, um, and sometimes they would just love to be on the show. It's like when you say the word cops, Oh my God, I love that show. And then, you know, they just, you know, Oh, now I'm going to be on there and get embarrassed later, but they just, you know, they want to be a part of it, but you had all these different types of people. And for me, you know, I had to submit a story every time we got something good and then write down what the story was and what happened and kind of, you know, give it like a button, you know, at the end of every episode. Uh, and that really helped me kind of as a filmmaker, really storytell because I was doing it live. I was doing it on, in the moment, you know, and visually storytelling like, uh, you know, two years in a row in that show. So it really helped me polish my skills. You know, I had Chris Hansen on a couple of years ago of the Dateline to Catch a Predator. Yep. And he said something interestingly enough about it's one thing to catch people, but to be able to get that story on TV is a whole different animal. Because oh, yeah. it was like one out of five they could get to sign waivers to actually be on television. So out of all the things that you've worked on, what do you think is important? What is one key thing that's important to storytelling? Like what, what makes or breaks a project, whether it's Roswell delirium, mm -hmm. Gordon Ramsay slamming plates in your kitchen or a, you know, like what makes a good story? Well, you know, like I always talk about like, you know, sitcoms, like friends, you know, the show really, or even the Seinfeld, like there's really not a lot that happens on the show. Like there's not a good story usually, but you watch it for the characters. Like the characters yeah. are so important. And when you have the right actors who can make you believe you're watching the real, like this person is real and you, and like you laugh with them and you can cry with them. Like there is nothing like it on the earth. I mean, I, I, I mean, and for me, like, you know, I've done projects where it's like, you know, sometimes you have bad actors and some people are like really stand out and other ones don't. And I felt like with Roswell, like everybody pulled their weight and everybody made each other better. And there's not one performance I had to alter because they were all so believable in their roles. Like I handpicked everybody and, you know, like Kylie and Ari and Michael and, and Ashton and Caden and Georgia and Roman and and it's like they were all so believable and just every time they're on screen, they're magnetic. And I and I was scared to have all these different characters in a movie together. Uh, and I'm like, it's not going to work because we didn't really have the budget to do all these rehearsals. But the one rehearsal day we did with all the kids in the movie, uh, like I was like, we can go out and shoot this movie right now. Like they're that good and believable too like they're only 13 years old i mean i was just blown away but like the characters are really why you want to watch any movie any tv show you know breaking bad but you know jesse and walt like you have to have people who make you believe that this is the actual real person and you're on that hero's journey with them you know otherwise you're not going to watch it so how are we doing on time? Because I want to ask you so many more questions. Oh, I'm I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you you tell me whenever you gotta go. I'm good. So okay. I'm good. So just yeah. we'll we'll pick a couple. Sure. So sure. let's talk about I was going through your biography here and I had researched this before and made notes, but then for some reason I missed a couple things. I want to talk about so we've got last chance you. Uh let's talk about working on you did cheer, which is great. Yep. Uh, another great show. 
I want to talk about the Dr. Phil show. You've worked with Dr. Phil before. <laughs> again, oh, yes. it's all real. It's all everything. But again, it's just comes down to storytelling, right? In getting sure. the right moments. So a typical show is 30 <laughs> to 40 minutes, but that's what we see on this end. How long does an actual episode take to film? <laughs> um, well, I, I will give you an example. So I did a show called Intervention years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You know, uh, that was like, I, I did like cops, which I saw like the worst of people and a lot of death, you know? So then I went to Intervention. I was kind of like numbed out. Like people were always crying. I'm like, ah. That's the one with Drew Pinsky Intervention or that was... No, no, I'm thinking of something else, but I do yeah. know intervention. Okay. Yeah, it's like you know, basically like trying to get an addict help. You know, you follow them for a week, and then you get that was like, yeah, that was pretty yeah. cutting edge. Yeah, I remember that. It it was cutting edge back then, but like I remember we would film about over a hundred hours of footage for forty minutes. You know, so it was like it was like we would do like six hour interviews with the the addict. So there's a lot of there's a lot to it. And I think we filmed over like 10, 10 days, you know, just for one episode. Um, and you know, like a last chance you I mean, you could film for like two weeks and not have a full episode. It depends on if it's like if it's boring, you know, it's like there's no conflict. Like, I mean, those shows you film so much. Uh, but a typical, you know, episode can take between like five to two weeks just to get, you know, a good episode cut together. So. Wow. Okay. One last topic. And now I'm just being self-indulgent sure. and I'll let you go. <laughs> but before I talk to you about this, I do want to make sure to have everybody keep their eyes open for Roswell delirium. Uh, and we'll post that. And then once the film comes out, We'll talk to your team and get you back on. So great. the amazing race again, another really great show that has to be exhausting because you're traveling all over the world or do you have teams in different locations for each place that you go? Well, uh, I didn't do all of like a lot of those shows. I did usually the only the sections where uh, they would meet up to start the show. Okay. Because uh, I was offered to do the, like the show many times because I know the showrunner and the DP of the show were a friend of mine. And I was like, you know what? I did cops for two years. I chased a lot of bad guys. I'm not going to go out there for six weeks and chase people uh, who want money. I'm like, I don't really care. Like if we get off the airplane and they take off, I'm not going to run after them. So I would always do anything uh, like nearby in California where we would like start the show and have like the season opener, I would kind of film all that and some of the interviews. But like, I was like, I'm not made to do that chasing stuff anymore. Like I'm, I'm past that. Point, you have to you know? probably be in pretty good shape if you're running after bad guys. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, you know, the funny part was whenever I chased bad guys <laughs> on cops, it so was badass. always, it was always a day where I had, I had just worked out in the morning. I'm like, of course, and I was like, of course, where I, where I ran three or four miles just to like, get, you know, stay in shape and, and I'm like, you know, I remember one day, like, I was like, oh, I ran like, you know, five miles. I'm like, oh, I feel good. And then all of a sudden the first call, uh, we're chasing these kids who just started like, you know, spray painting the building and, and the cop, you know, wanted to go after him. And I was like, we can't even get their parents to come down here, get the release, but he still wanted to go get them. And I'm like, oh, now we're chasing all these kids, you know? And, <laughs> and then another time I ran like too much. And then the cop told me in Sacramento, this guy named Mike Harverson, he's like, look, we're looking for a green Pontiac that was stolen last night at Wendy's. And I'm like, okay, one goes by, runs the plates. It's not it. 
Five minutes later, a second one goes by. It's a hit. And I'm like, he just does a U-turn and we're in a high-speed pursuit. And the guy is going so fast uh, through like traffic and like in the, in the city. And he basically like flips the car and takes his face and breaks the window with his face and starts running. And I'm like, oh man, now we're in a foot pursuit. So I'm like, my legs were jello and I had to keep up as hard as I could. And luckily he went down fast, but I was like, I was not ready to chase that day. So. Well, what a fascinating career you've had, Richard. My God. Thank you. We need to get you back on again uh, at some point, but congratulations on this film. Very well-deserved success. I, again, I'm looking at your filmography. I have so many more questions, but it's <laughs> I know you're busy and I really do appreciate your time and I don't want to be self-indulgent at this point, but I, I really appreciate you. All the success, you very thank well you. deserve it. This is a magnificent film. Richard, thank you for your time. All right, thank you so much. Thanks for listening and being a part of today's conversation. Thank you! If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. It's absolutely free. A major proportion. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. And remember, we care. <laughs>